we've been talking this year about kingdom greatness. Kingdom greatness. How to be great in the kingdom. And I said to you some time back that Jesus is not against your greatness. Amen. In fact, he gives us formulas to greatness. He says to his disciples, for example, he says to them, you know what? Whoever wants to be the greatest amongst you must be the servant. He didn't go and say, like, don't desire greatness. Everyone following. How many of you want to be great in the kingdom of God? So we're talking about keys to greatness. We've already spoken about the power of prayer and fasting, didn't we? Right? We had a powerful message on the power of corporate prayer, praying together. These are all keys to our greatness. And this morning I want to share with you on a subject, and I've entitled it, Personal Accountability. Personal Accountability. You see, accountability is central to greatness in the kingdom. We will have to explain ourselves one day. You will have to explain yourself one day. We cannot just live our lives as we feel like living our lives. Amen? And ignorance in this department, ladies and gentlemen, is not bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. Right? Someone once said, a great teacher, and I was listening to this message, a tape by him, in 1995, I remember I was at Vasti and I was listening to this tape. Yes, a cassette. I remember one time my kids were wondering, what's a cassette? What does it look like? And they saw some cassettes at our house and they're like, oh, this is what people used to use. All right? And this great teacher basically said one of the most tragic situations a person can ever find themselves in is to go through life thinking that they're on the right side of God when in actual fact they're on his wrong side. You see, it's one thing to be on the wrong side of God and be fully aware of it. It's another thing to be on the wrong side of God, but you think you're on the right side. Ignorance is not bliss. Amen. Okay, you can't say, well, I didn't know, when you had the opportunity to know. Now, we've seen extremes of accountability when it comes to church history. You see, there's accountability to God, which is a subject that needs to be taught a lot. And then there's our accountability to each other. And when it comes to accountability to each other, there have been extremes. In the 70s, there was what was called the heavy shepherding movement. Some of you might have heard about it, heavy shepherding. It's where pastors begin to say to people, why, are you, why did you buy those shoes and not the other ones? Why did you send your kids to that school and not this school? It's where leaders begin to overstep the boundaries. You know what I'm talking about? And then people reacted to that and they went to the other extreme where there was no accountability. Where they're like, no one needs to tell me what to do in my life. I'm my own person. Or like one of my relatives once said, I'm one out. And a relative lived in Johannesburg years ago. And it was one of my first times in Joburg. I think it was my second time in Joburg. And I was traveling. I was going to study. It was back in 94. And I remember arriving in Joburg on my way down to the Eastern Cape. I think it was around then. And I meet this distant relative of mine. And I said, being the relational guy I am, I said, so who are your friends? You know, in my nice, like, soft voice. So who are your friends? And I was so intimidated by Joburg. It just looked so massive, right, back in the day. And he was so proud of himself, you could see. He says, I'm one out. I'm one out. And there's some people like that, and they're proud of it, that they're one out. Okay? If you're from Zim, you know that phrase, one out. Right? A lot of people are proud of that. So it's so sad because it's actually a characteristic of the kingdom of God, being accountable to each other. All right? So this message is going to focus on personal accountability. Because you see, when you study the subject of accountability broadly, you'll see that nations are accountable. How many of you know that? 
Nations are accountable. In my book on building your nation, I talk about characteristics of nations. You can have a nation that forgets God. You have sheep nations and goat nations. A nation is accountable for what it does. Sometimes we see nations experiencing famine, and we just think, oh, it's just climate change. Do you know that some of that is judgment? Amen? Cities, cities are also accountable. Cities are accountable. That's why do you remember when Jesus spoke? He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Because of how they had not received Jesus. You know that those cities don't exist today? You know, if you study that word woe in scripture, it's actually a word of judgment. So there's judgment that's going to come, but there's judgment that's already happened. Amen? A lot of those cities are in ruins today. So nations have an accountability to God. Cities have an accountability to God. Churches, corporately, have an accountability to God. And we see that in the book of Revelation chapter 2, where Jesus is speaking and he's saying, you know what, you guys have been great concerning this, you've been great concerning that. But in this particular area, you've lost your first love. And then he goes on to say, you need to repent quickly. Church at Ephesus, great church. You need to repent quickly. Or he says, you need to repent or I will come and quickly remove your lampstand. I'm not going to go into detail of what lampstand is, but they had a grace period in terms of repenting. So nations are accountable. Cities are accountable. Churches are accountable. But today I want to focus on personal accountability. Is that okay? When I talk about personal accountability, because there's an, there's an individual accountability that's crucial. And a mistake we've made when it comes to making disciples, we've emphasized the teaching aspect of discipleship. Because what is a disciple? One who sits under teaching. So we do lots of teaching. And as pastors, we think we can preach at problems. Oh, there's this problem in the church. They just preach a good series on it. Amen? But we've done discipleship without accountability. Is everyone following? Accountability is central to discipleship. Let me say something else. Let me say something else. We live in a society where people don't want to be accountable. Let's be honest. People don't want to be accountable. People don't want to be told what to do. What? The Bible. And then they come up with a theology that basically says, I know the Bible isn't really true. It's for guys back in the day. It's for 2,000 years ago. It's not relevant now. Values can change, Paul. Your theology will affect your morality. Your theology will affect your morality. Do you know that there are a lot of people today, they actually don't believe, well, they'll say they don't believe in God, but they actually do. But they don't want to believe in God because of the implications. Amen? In their minds, they're like, you know what, I'd rather be an atheist because if I believe there's a God, then I'm going to have to be accountable. A lot of the friends that you have arguments with when it comes to questions of faith, the friends who say, no, 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 God, 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 nah, he's just a force. Yeah, no, no, Paul, I believe there must be some creator somewhere out there, but no, 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 he's not a personal God. Sometimes they say that because of the implications. Amen. If we believe that there's a God, if we believe that there's a God who can have personal relationship with you and me, with you and I, then we must believe that ultimately we're accountable to him. And people don't want that. People don't want that. You see, relationship and position imply a degree of accountability. Have you noticed that? Relationship and position imply some degree of accountability. I can't say, oh, I'm a pastor of a church. I'm a senior pastor of a church, but I'm not accountable. 
You can't say, I'm a married man, but my wife shouldn't ask about my whereabouts. Are you following? See, a lot of people, they want relationship and they want position, but they're not willing to be accountable for it. You cannot say, I'm a parent and I'm a proud parent of all these children, but you're never at home. Amen? The problem with our society today is a lot of people love position, a lot of people love privilege of position and the benefits of position, but they don't want the accountability. Amen? Sometimes when I'm counseling couples, there's some people where I think to myself, and with some, I've actually probably spoken to them about it, being, being me. Like, why did you get married? <laughs> there's that, why did I get married? Why did you get married? Because you're insisting on living like a bachelor. You're going AWOL. You know what happens to people in the army who go AWOL? Absent without leave? You can get executed, not so. You can't just leave an army. You can't just leave your family. <laughs> Enough of this. In fact, I heard about someone recently that's been doing that. Not in this church. There's people in this church, they never do those kinds of things. <laughs> but I heard about someone that's been doing that. From time to time, he feels pressure and he decides, like, I'm out of here. He just goes. Walk about. Just go. And then after some time, comes back. <laughs> we can't do that. You cannot say, I want to be a, let me use an example. Um, Loazi is very reliable, so, so let me just use the head usher example, okay, because I'm obviously not talking about Loazi. But you can't just say, I want to be a head usher of a church. But then you never tell us when you're not around. Amen? You can't desire position and the privilege of position without accountability. Is everyone following this morning? All right? We're talking about personal accountability. Personal accountability. So we are accountable, but we also have to create a culture of accountability. If anyone here, who's a leader? If anyone here is a leader, just raise your hand. You're a leader. You're a leader at work. You're a leader in church. Anyone who is a leader? You're a leader at home. Come on, most hands. If you come to this church... I'm hoping you desire to be a leader, some sort of leader, because that's one of our primary callings. It's releasing leaders, by the way. And that's why some, if, if you come to this church and you just want shallow messages, you know what I'm saying, then it's probably not the place for you. Amen? If you want just basic shallow messages, probably not the church for you. But if you're saying, you know what, I want to be equipped and released into leadership, this is probably the place for you. It's just one of our key things. Amen? All right? So... You cannot say, I want to be a leader, but then not want to create a culture of accountability. So one of the things I'm going to show you this morning is there's your accountability to God, and then there's your accountability to your brothers and sisters around you and your leaders, but there's also your responsibility as a leader to create a culture of accountability. In other words, to bring people to account. You cannot talk about leadership without talking about creating a culture of accountability. Is everyone following? You see, sometimes people just do whatever they want to do, but we never bring them to account. Come on, we've all, we've all failed in this area. Let's be honest. I'll put my hand up. There are times when I will ask someone, can you do A, B, C, D? And I see they're not doing A, B, C, D. They're not, either not doing anything or they're doing X, Y, Z. And I'm just like, oh, I'm too tired. To bring them to account. I'm going to show you how do you create a culture of accountability because we see it all over scripture. Amen. 
You know, what was interesting is there was some research that was carried out by Harvard University, and they found that 70% of change initiatives, where they were trying to bring about lasting change, 70% of them failed. And they found that it was largely because of behaviors associated with lack of accountability. And one of the shifts we're going to be making as a church this year, there's going to be accountability. There's going to be accountability. With some people, I'll be going up to them and actually saying, you know what, I want to find out from you. In fact, I had a conversation like this last year. Do you still want to lead this area? Do you want to raise a team under you in this particular area? Can you think about it? Give me feedback. Because if you don't want to, we'll find someone else who will do it. Amen? There's going to be accountability. And for some of you, maybe it's about raising your hand and actually being honest and saying, you know what? To be honest with you, this is not a priority in my life right now. I would rather be the person who just is part of a team instead of leading a team. Amen? Sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves concerning these particular things. Now, I've been talking to you about accountability, and some of you would want a definition. I've kind of like already defined it, but in the Greek, it's actually the word logon. Logon, in the Greek, the word account. You know when Jesus often speaks and he says like, you know what, you'll have to give an account of yourself, right? And it literally means reasoning expressed in words. Reasoning expressed in words. It's a statement or a speech, so it's verbal. In other words, when you want someone to give an account of their deeds, you would typically say, can you explain yourself? And guess what? We're going to have to all do that one day. Amen? That's why if you look in scripture, what does it say? It says that, you know what? With certain people, they'll say, but we did this. And they're now giving that statement or speech. We cast out these demons. We brought deliverance to these people. They're giving the statement or speech to basically say, so surely we are your children, God, and we should be in heaven. And what does Jesus say? He says, I'll say, I never knew you. So every person is going to have to give an, an account of how they live their lives. Right? As a pastor in this church, when it comes to our finances, I have to, I have to account for it. Often at the end of, at the end of each month, Pastor Mumbai and myself, just for those of you who don't, who don't know how it works, I don't make payments, okay? I don't do EFTs and so on. Pastor Vim, and usually there's one backup person, that she, she does it, although I authorize, right? And then we've got an external accountant. And then we've got, helping us in terms of managing the finances, we've got another CA who's Q. You all know Q, right? Aquilina. Q, can you just raise your hand, please, so people know? Okay, that's the person to speak to if you've got issues and you feel like, hey, but where does the money go to? And she, you can talk to her. But you know that at the end of each month, she comes and she, not physically, but she sends us an email and she'll say there was this and this and this payment. Can I please have the proof of it? Can I have the receipts? Can you tell us what was this for and what was that for? And guess what? If it's something, uh, usually Pastor Vim is aware of it. Usually I'm also aware of it. And then that's when we have to give an account. We have to say, it was for this, it was for that. Is everyone following? So it's, it's that word logon, and it's basically reasoning expressed in words. Isn't that powerful? Reasoning expressed in words. 
I want to share with you principles of accountability this morning. And I'm going to start off by talking quite a bit about our accountability to God. And then I'm going to talk a bit further concerning our accountability to each other. And then I'm going to speak to you concerning our accountability to both God and man. Is everyone following? All right. So the first principle I want to share with you is this. Each of us is personally accountable to God. In Romans 14 verse 12, it says, So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. That's individual accountability. You cannot say, because my pastor was very spiritual, therefore I'm also very spiritual. Amen? There are a lot of people today, they think they're very spiritual and close to God because they go to a church where their pastor is greatly used by God. But just because your pastor is greatly used by God doesn't mean you are. Amen? Just because you're a child in a house where you've got strong, prayerful parents doesn't mean that you are strong and prayerful yourself. Amen? That's why one of my prayers for my kids often is, Lord, may you give them their own personal revelation of your goodness, of your greatness, of your power, because I don't want them to ride on my glory. You get what I'm saying, right? I remember we used to have a youth group. We used to be involved in a youth group when we were growing up. And we used to say a lot of people ride on other people's glory. Now, that's important, and we've learned about that in terms of the corporate benefits of that, where you ride in someone's wake, and that's useful when it comes to spiritual gifts. But when it comes to accountability, each of us are going to have to give an individual account concerning our walk with God. Amen? My wife will be accountable for her walk with God. I will be accountable for my walk with God. I won't be able to say, but Lord, it was my wife. Yeah, but look, my wife, my wife she'll keep pull, pulling me away from prayer. You won't, I won't be able to do that. Amen? No, 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 my wife was saying I'm fasting too much. Okay, she, she didn't say that actually. When I was fasting, she actually said, no, that's great, awesome. She encourages me a lot. But in some cases, people are like Adam was. The wife you gave me. Do you remember how he blamed Eve? And that's a picture of us today. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Each one of us will give reasoning expressed in words, a statement or speech to God. You know all those people who don't get saved and you say to them, why aren't you getting saved? And then they say, ah, no, it's because of the hypocrites in the church. You're not going to be able to say that. There might be some of you in this room right now, you come to church, but you're not actually born again. You're not going to be able to say, ah, no, 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 but God, surely you understand. Because remember that pastor, he was stealing money. So, so you understand, how could I live righteously? Because that pastor over there was stealing money. You're not going to be able to say that. Amen? I love this scripture in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. There's another translation, very powerful. It says, it is destined for each man to die once, not twice, no reincarnation. Amen? Amen? You know, a lot of people joke about reincarnation. They keep saying like, oh, no, 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 in the next life it will happen. No. Each man is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment. And by the way, in the original language, that word once, it actually literally means once and for all. So it's actually a very strong word. I remember when we were in France for my wife's uh, world champs, I remember afterwards we were, we were in Paris and then I was going and I wanted to get some souvenirs in one shop and there was this Asian looking man 
And as I left the shop, he kind of called me back. He says, hey, 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 I just wanted to tell you, you, you speak like Michael Jackson. You speak like Michael Jackson. Now, I keep getting that. And so I said back to him, my well-rehearsed re re uh, response, I said, yeah, I wish I could sing like him. And then he was trying to encourage me. He says, don't worry, in the afterlife, in the next life, you'll speak like... I was thinking to myself, no, 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 that won't happen. Amen? So each person is destined to die once. And then afterwards is the judgment. I still remember one guy, guy who mentored me spiritually. I remember him once saying, in life there's no dress rehearsal. In life there's no dress rehearsal. You know those of you who are into drama, there's the dress rehearsal you do, right? And then there's the real thing. There's no dress rehearsal. How I am today counts for eternity. I can't say, no, I was just practicing, Lord. First round, you know, my, my, that first round in my marriage, in the first two years, I was just practicing. Lord, you understand. That's why I was mean and horrible to my wife. Now I'm doing the real thing. Can't say that. In life, there's no dress rehearsal. We'll die once. Amen? And then comes the judgment. And by the way, that word judgment, it's the word crisis. It's where we get the word crisis from in the Greek. Crisis. And it literally means decision. So judgment is a fancy word for a decision. It is destined for each man to die once and then comes the decision. And you know what that decision is? The decision is whether you'll go to heaven or hell. Amen. And by the way, there's the white throne judgment. The white throne judgment, right, that as believers we're not involved in. Because we've given our hearts to the Lord Jesus. So the white throne judgment, you'll find that with the unsaved people, they will, they will be told, this is where you're going. That's the white throne judgment. Then there's what's called the judgment seat of Christ. And the judgment seat of Christ is the one to do with rewards. Yes, I'm already saved. Yes, it's already decided that I'm going to heaven. But now there's the judgment seat of Christ. What's the quality of your work, Paul? What's the size of your mansion in heaven now going to be? Okay? It's those types of things. Does everyone get that? Okay? There are rewards we experience on earth, but there are also rewards we will experience in heaven. Now, what is interesting is we are accountable to God for how we treat other people. I'm going to share with you a very powerful scripture. So I'm accountable to God for how I treat you, how I talk to you. I'm accountable to God. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, it says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, this is Jesus speaking, right? He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. How many of you have been raised in rural areas where you've got both sheep and goats together, and you heard them? Okay, many of us were exposed, especially during school holidays, to that environment, right? If you grew up in an agrarian environment. And you know that sheep, they, they move together, don't they? They're very easy to herd. How many of you have ever tried herding goats? A goat will go and will eat from this branch here, thorn branch, then will go five meters down, then 20 meters down. There's no order. Just so you understand the context here. So it's actually quite easy to separate sheep from goats, isn't it? Because goats are quite different. 
I know some of you are, are city kids and you've never been exposed to these things. Just go and visit some of these farms sometime and you'll see what people like uh, Mr. Tindaima Nyumwa and some of us had to do, right? Um, yes, I had to do that. Holidays. Every holiday without fail, we'll go to our rural home. So it's like standard, default. They won't be like, so what are we doing this holiday? We'll literally just go to our rural home there, right? And we'll be exposed to these things. Some of you think like Paul is conning. I'm not conning. I can tell you a lot of things, right? All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Isn't that awesome? Are you looking forward to that? For I was, now, now look at the reason. He didn't say, for you were such a great spiritual prayer warrior. That's good. But this is the reason he gives. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. In other words, your destination is being determined by how you related to these little ones here. Isn't that powerful? Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I want to share with you something so powerful. A lot of times we speak about Christ in me. And it's a powerful revelation to have that Christ is in you. And you move in power. We've taught a lot on that. But you know what we forget to teach on? Christ in others. Christ in others. And when you have this revelation, it affects how you treat people. If my kids are fighting, I often will say to them, guys, this is God's child who he created. When you diss your brother, you're dissing the person who created him. Amen? It's not just Christ in me, it's Christ in others too. Because Christ identifies with other people. And that's why when we talk about going out to Tembisa, to Ivory Park, when we talk about doing those things, we're not just going to be dishing out food. We're also going to be starting a small group there. There are people there who are saying, we want to come to church. We want to come to church. We still want to start a congregation there. Amen? And by the way, when we talk about how we treat others, yes, there's the poor and there's the marginalized. But guess what? Jesus says, any of these brothers or sisters of mine. So it's your fellow believers also. It's children. It's your spouse. It's your spouse. Because your spouse is also your sister in Christ. Amen? So if you're beating up your wife, guess who you're beating up? Let's follow the logic of the scripture. He says, anything you do for the least of these, these brothers and sisters, you're doing it for me. So the good stuff, you're doing it for Jesus. The bad stuff, you're doing it against Jesus. Amen? A revelation that has to come to the body of Christ is a revelation of his oneness with mankind. 
his identification with mankind. Amen? So powerful as we meditate on this. The Lord will answer, uh, that they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He'll reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. We're accountable for how we treat each other. What is the consequence, ladies and gentlemen? Today, people don't believe in hell anymore, hey? There's a doctrine right now going around, and it's been there for years, by the way, and it's called the doctrine of ultimate reconciliation. You know where people take that scripture that says he's going to reconcile all things to himself. So there's some people think, how can a loving God send people to hell? No, people end up going to hell because they didn't receive Jesus. Amen? And what is powerful when you look at this, Jesus was one of the people who spoke the most about hell. And he shares with us the consequence. He basically says, verse 46, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You know, this has implications for some of the social ills that we're experiencing. Child trafficking, that's one of the worst things that's ever happened. Child trafficking, where they're basically getting little kids and selling them in other countries. Because that's what they're doing to Jesus. That's pretty much what this scripture is saying. Amen? So there's serious accountability for how we treat each other. We're accountable to God. And these are important questions to ask when you're discipling people. And that's why one of the shifts we're making in our discipleship strategy is it's not just going to be fellowship orientated. It's actually going to be a thing where we have a number of small groups starting up that there's accountability in those groups, and we're actually asking these questions. We're asking the hard questions. How are you treating the people around you? And when we hear that someone is beating up their wife, the men in the church will know that person will literally rise up and be like, dude, what are you doing? Do you understand the gravity of this? As opposed to people just, hey, we don't know what's going on in that family. Oh, did you hear that story? Oh, in that family, we don't know what's going on. How many of you want to be part of a community where we are in each other's lives in that way? Or, do you, or would you rather be in a community where it's like, hey, I'm minding my own business? I can tell you right now, people who've been the victim of some of these things we're talking about right now, people who've been the victim, and it's a number of people, they wish they were part of a church community where there was more accountability. I can tell you that right now. We get to hear about things as pastors. People will come to us and say, this happened to me, or that happened to me, and so on. And I'm saying, where are the men who are going to rise up and be in that other person's face concerning certain things? Amen? If you hear in the church that brother so-and-so conned brother so-and-so, so brother so-and-so is actually a bit of a con artist. Are we rising up as men? And by the way, um, we're going to have a men's meeting in the next couple of weeks. It's coming up, not this Saturday, but the following one. We're going to have a men's meeting here, right? And we're going to be addressing some of these issues. If there's a brother in the church who's going around from sister to sister to sister, it needs to be brought to account because it actually messes up the church. You know what I'm talking about? Sisters end up not coming to church because they're nervous in prayer meetings. You know what I'm talking about? 
We've had it happen before because it's like, oh, that brother is now praying and they switch off because they know what that brother does to them outside. Amen? I would love to be in such a community where we are doing that. How are you treating your wife? How are you treating your husband? The second principle of accountability. We are accountable for the quality of our work. We are accountable for the quality of our work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 to 15, it says, If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. And let me say something. Their work will not be shown necessarily immediately. It might be after a number of years. It says, because the day, with a capital D, will bring it to light. What day? The day of judgment will bring it to light. There's a guy who went to heaven. I was, uh, Paul Young Cho was, was sharing the story. Basically, one of his um, elders, I think it was an elder in the church, died, right? And then went to heaven and had one of those experiences where he then came back, right? And so he's there in heaven and he's seeing these mansions. And there was a lady who used to sweep and she used to do the menial tasks in their church, an old lady, and she had died. And he goes and he checks out this massive mansion in heaven and he sees it was actually that lady's. And then there was a particular guy who had been one of the elders, one of the senior guys in their church. But he was quite flamboyant and quite proud. He was one of those showy people, but he was in leadership in the church. And he had this tiny house in heaven, right? And so this guy came back and he was literally just innocently sharing and just saying like, you know what, this is what I experienced, this is what I saw. Isn't that interesting? Okay? The quality of your work, you're accountable for it. You're accountable for it. And it goes on to say, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. I mean, if you want to receive a reward for your work, okay? If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss. Will they still go to heaven? Look what I say. But yet will be saved, even though... <laughs> I know my wife likes this scripture. I don't know if she likes it, but she likes to, she likes to talk about it. Even though only as one escaping through flames. You know those people who just make it? You know when, you pass, when people ask you, did you pass the exam? And you say yes, but you know initially you, you actually got about 45% or 43%, and then you had to sit and you had to do a sup. You know the supplementary exam? Okay. And then you make it through. It's like, yes, I passed. It's like some of us with accounting one. I wasn't good at accounting, okay? I was good at other things. So don't judge me, Q. Don't judge me. Right? Uh, and you, but you make it. Phew, like, okay? It's a bit like that. Some people, you'll see, when they get to heaven, they'll be, they'll be smelling of, you know, like they've been, sin they, they've been burnt a bit, you know? Through the eh, we made it. We're here. So, some of the people, you'll be like, but this person didn't even used to come to church. We used to just see, see them maybe at Easter and so on. But this guy was horrible to his wife and so on. And you see them there in heaven. Oh, guys, I made it. <laughs> and then there's some people who think they're really great, but they'll also be in that category, just making it. So here's the question. We'll be judged for the quality of our work. But here's my question to you. Do you know what your work is? You'll be judged for the quality of your work. Do you know what your work is? 
Because if I'm not conscious of what my work is, what my purpose is, guess what? I'm not going to pay attention to it. For some of you, your work in this life that you're going to be judged by is something that's number five or six on your agenda right now. <laughs> can, can we go there? It's number five or six on your agenda right now. The thing that God is going to look at and say, hey, but what happened to China? The mission to China that, we, that, that you were supposed to do? Ah, oh, but Lord, I was a good accountant. I provided for my family, Lord. But the mission to China, you know I called you to be a missionary to China. What happened? Or vice versa. But Lord, I did this great mission to China, but I didn't call you to China. I called you to bring reformation to the banking industry. What happened? Amen? You'll be judged for the quality of your work, but you must know what your work is. Amen? You see, you can have a big crowd following you, but you will have to give an account of what you taught them. As pastors, we have to give an account of what we teach. Some of the messages we've done here aren't necessarily our favorite topic. Are you hearing me this morning? It's not like, it's not like last year, you know, when we were going through foundations, and I'm so glad I married uh, my wife, because she's the one who actually said last year, you know what, I think we need, I'm just sensing, I'm feeling my spirit, we need to teach foundations. Some of those topics we taught last year are not necessarily our favorite. Those of you who missed them, I hope you go back to the website and go through all of them. It's not like I wake up and my dream in life is I want to teach thoroughly on water baptism. It's my favorite topic. But did you see the fruit of teaching on water baptism? Did you see how many people decided we need to get baptized, we need to get baptized? There's a guy called Dick Iverson who died a few years ago, great stalwart in the kingdom of God. And one, I like one of his quotes. He said, we, and I've met him personally, he said, we have to learn to make the basics beautiful. We have to learn to make the basics beautiful. Amen? Basic foundations. I was talking about this with Ashburn the other day. He loves foundations also. Basic foundations. Let's make them beautiful. Ashburn is Mr. Mainzanese. I know people are wondering, who's Ashburn? Who's Ashburn? The tall, the tall guy with the purple shirt there. Right? Amen? What's the quality of your work as a preacher or teacher? What's the quality of your work as a small group leader? What's the quality of your work as a worshiper, as a person on media? Amen? Number three, we're accountable for our words. This is so important, ladies and gentlemen, because you can have crowds following you, but they're going to have to give an account. There are many people where week in, week out, week in, week out, they're just being told, you can become healthier and wealthier. You can become healthier and wealthier. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. And crowds are following. They're going to have to give an account for the quality of their work. Everyone following. Number three, we are accountable for our words. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. That's why when you're discipling people, when there are people who are accountable to you, it's important to say to them, what was the quality of your words? What, were the, what was the quality of your words this week? How did you contaminate your marriage this week with your words? How did you contribute to your marriage this week with your words? Amen? 
We're going to have to give an account of every careless word that we speak. I know, but I was just joking. Yeah, but that joke was destructive to the person you were speaking to. Did you say flirtatious things to that woman? One day, God will look at you and say, how far? Give an account. Amen? You see, words might not be a big thing for you, but they're a big thing for God because he knows the power of them. And God knows that, you know what, when you released that verbal abuse to that individual, you literally destroyed their life forever with those words that you spoke. Are you aware of the magnitude of that? I know, but I've got a bad temper. People must just understand, you're accountable. You're accountable. Amen? So we must be careful of the promises or the vows that we make. In Matthew 5, 34 to 37, it says, But I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king, and do not swear by your head. Now you have people saying, no, no, I swear on my mother's life. No, I swear on this, I swear. But Jesus is saying the opposite. Why do people still do it? I cross my heart to hope to die. Why do people do that? Do you remember growing up? Seriously, yes, I cross my, my heart, hope to die. Why are you doing that to yourself? And watch this. Jesus continues to speak and he says, and do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. And then what does he go on to say? Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Do you know why he says that? I believe one of the reasons Jesus says it comes from the evil one. It's one of the ways the devil snares people, ensnares people. He gets them to make promises they won't keep. He gets them to make vows, and they're tripped up by the vow that they've made. Amen? Because when you break a vow, it's a very serious thing. Breaking a vow is extremely serious. So don't make vows if you know you can't keep them. Amen? Everyone following today? But we do it carelessly, don't we? I promise you, I'll give it to you next week. I'll give it to you next week, I promise. Be careful. What if something happens next week and you, it doesn't, you don't do it? There are consequences to the promises we make. So let's be careful about our words because it becomes a trap. Amen. Number four, we are accountable based on the calling we have received. I love this. We are accountable based on the calling we've received. In James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Not many of you should become what? Teachers. Why? Teachers will be judged more strictly. Amen? In other words, I can position myself as a marriage coach and I can say, yeah, I teach on marriage. Yeah, yeah, my books on marriage. Yeah, hey guys, we're doing this marriage seminar. Guess what? Because of that calling I've received, I am going to be judged more strictly in the area of marriage than you. That's what this is speaking of. That's why you'll find that there's certain topics I don't teach on. There's certain topics I don't teach on until I feel I'm walking in that particular thing. There are times when my wife will say, I think maybe you should do a message on such and such. And she'll tell you. I've said to her, you know what, I don't think I'm ready yet. Why? 
awareness that the moment you stand up and you begin to say, guys, you must do this and do this and do this. Do you know what you're also doing when you teach, especially from a pulpit, when you're teaching? You are actually, it's actually a form of warfare. You're basically saying to those principalities out there, you know what? I'm coming against you. And let me tell you something. If you're not walking in what you are teaching, if you're saying to people, do as I say, not as I do. You know some people are like that, right? If you're doing that, it can backfire on you spiritually. Amen? So some people just think it's this easy thing, like, oh, anyone can come. Yeah, hey, Pastor, I'm, I'm very interested in this topic. You know, maybe I can share it with everyone and so on. <laughs> My friend, sometimes the reason we don't let you do it is to protect you. Are you following? It's to, it's to protect people. There are a lot of, we've got a lot of powerful communicators in this church. But there are times where I have to pray and be like, Lord, is this person ready for this yet? That's why you'll find a lot of people get into so-called ministry and what happens? After a while, you're like, this person fell. They didn't fall into sin before that. Are you following? But now they've been elevated to a certain level, and it's not this mystical thing. It's just that now as they're teaching, they're making judgment on the enemy, on celestial beings in the kingdom of darkness. You know what Jesus says? He says, with the same measure you judge, you'll be judged. Amen? So let's, so let's guard our hearts. If there's something that you teach other people about, in that specific area, be very careful and cautious in your own life. Amen? If you, if you study some of the statistics of ministers of the gospel who've fallen, they've fallen in the very area they used to teach on very strongly. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Some of the guys who were ruthless when it came to moral purity. Ruthless. That's the very area they fell in. Amen? And that's why for some of you, when you get up here, sometimes to be on the safe side, I'm not trying to scare you, but some of you should just be saying, guys, we need gra the grace of God. I, that's, what I, that's my only message to you. We just need God's grace to help us. Be very careful when you position yourself as, yeah, so all of you, yeah, you need to give more. And you need stricter for the teacher. Is everyone following? It'll be stricter for the person who teaches God's expectation of you is aligned with your calling. His expectation of you is aligned with your calling. Your lifestyle must match your calling. That's very important. Your lifestyle must match your calling. In Ephesians 4 verse 1, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So if you say, I'm a kingdom financier, you'll be judged more strictly when it comes to your generosity. Yeah, I do business seminars for Christians. You'll be judged more strictly when it comes to your generosity. Your lifestyle must match your calling. Amen? If someone says, I'm a prophet. I mean, you know that prophets are also watchmen. Prophets must pray. Amen? You can't say, I'm a prophet, but not be prayerful. Amen? There's a level of lifestyle that must match the calling. And we're accountable for that. As a pastor, I cannot expect that my reading of the word or reading of Christian books is at the same level as the average Christian. 
Why? I've received this calling to say you'll be this apostle who'll do these great things and teach foundational truths to the body of Christ and still have an average prayer life and still have an average word life. Amen? I believe that's one of the reasons why Jesus was tough with the Pharisees. Because they had these positions. These guys are the teachers of the law. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Do you remember that? And do you notice how gracious he was towards the sinners? But when it came to these people who had positioned themselves as, we are the teachers of the law. He expected more from them. Amen? Number five, the fifth principle. We are accountable to the degree to which we have knowledge. We are accountable to the degree to which we have knowledge. I love what John Piper said. He said, the more knowledge you have of God's will, the more you are accountable for doing it. The more knowledge you have of God's will, the more accountable you are for doing it. How many visions have you had concerning the call of God over you? Some of you, you're always dreaming about it. Yeah, God has called me to this. God has called me to this. Well, he's shown it to you, you're responsible to do it. Amen? When you're taught the word well, there's an expectation. There's an expectation to do it. There's some people who haven't been exposed to the teaching that you've been exposed to. And you know what? The judgment is stricter when you know more. So be careful of knowing. <laughs> Amen? Be careful of knowing. You say to me, but Paul, where does it say so in the word? I'll show you in the word. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. It says, but the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. Does everyone get that? The one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. So there will still be consequences for the ignorant person. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. That's why when I challenge my kids academically, sometimes they could get 80-something percent. But what we always say to them, we say, guys, look at what stock you come from. Look how brainy your mom is. Okay? We say that to them. You are much smarter than this. Because they can relax thinking, but compared to some of the other kids, look how well we've done. We expect more from them because much has been given to them intellectually. Does that make sense? But for the kid who's always had 55% all their life, when the day they get 61%, there's a big party. Amen? Some of you in this church, you're very gifted. Very gifted. In a way that's unusual. I've seen it with the guys in Joburg, those of you in Johannesburg, the amount of people that can teach the word in a small church that has just started, Johannesburg. By the way, they're celebrating, our Joburg church is celebrating one year, hey, next, next uh, weekend. It'll be one year at the Joburg church. Congrats, guys, we love you. Mwah, mwah, mwah. But I've, I've been, I'm blown away by the Joburg church because you see just a few people, but the level of gifting, it's scary. 
But guys, you guys in Joburg, you are accountable based on how much God has given you. Amen? That's one of the reasons I've gone back into my running. I don't know if you can see that I've been running quite a bit and eating healthier. That's why I went back. Do you know why I went back? You guys laugh at me when I talk about what I was like at school. I'll be at provincial trials and so on, finishing my 400 meters, and other guys are still halfway down the, down the, you know, the, the last straight. Halfway down. Leave them. Leave them. I wasn't playing games. Right? At a, at a high level. And then for years, you know, you finish school and you become relaxed. And you're inconsistent. Sometimes you work out, sometimes you don't. And I started living through my wife. Because I'd be thinking, no, we're a healthy family because she cooks healthy food. We're healthy. Hey, I'm going there, carrying a bag, going to all these triathlons. Yeah, yeah, Paul, what do you do? Yeah, no, because we are going to that triathlon. Yeah, we are going. Individual accountability. And then I realized, you know what, Paul? You were given much. You were given natural speed. Natural athleticism. I'm not trying to show off. I'm, being on, I'm just being honest. In fact, this is a confession. But then you took a 25-year break, technically speaking. And now when I say I'm back, I'm back. Amen? It's, beca it's become a habit. It's become a lifestyle. Amen? Let's leave it there for now. Let's leave it there for now. Okay? The point is, if you've been given much, use it. And I know, I know what, the example I've just used, I know it applies to some of you. Some of you are feeling me on that. Because God gave you certain talents and you've neglected them. Some of you are very musical. Very. You should just try any instrument and you just catch it. I'm not saying you must do everything because we don't have time. But ask the Lord, Lord, in this season of my life, what should I do? Arnold Schwarzenegger, for some time in his life, he had a season where he was a bodybuilder. Then he had another season where he was an actor or a film star. There's a difference between an actor and a film star, okay? But anyway, he was an actor, film star. Then there was another season where he was governor of California. Different seasons. I'm saying this because some of you are confused. You're like, but Paul, I'm a multi-talented person, so what do I do? I can't do it all at once. I've got kids to look after and so on. What do you need to do in this season? What do you need to work on? Amen? Number six, leaders are not above accountability. Leaders are not above accountability. Just because you're a leader, it doesn't mean there has to be lawlessness in your life. One of our problems with our African nations is this, isn't it? A lot of African leaders think they're beyond the law. They think the law doesn't apply to them. Have you noticed that? Right? And yes, we're talking about African leaders because we're in Africa. I know some of you are thinking, Paul, don't just pick on Africa. They're also those, we're in Africa. I'm not in the States. In March, I'll be speaking in UK. I'll challenge the UK people. Amen. You know, with a lot of, yeah, no, I won't go there. I won't go there. Yeah. Sometimes some people are sensitive. They don't like Africa being challenged or Africans being challenged. But we will challenge you. Amen. So a lot of African leaders need to learn that they're not above accountability. Regardless of how high we go, each one of us needs to be personally accountable. In Colossians 4 verse 1 says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. All authority is delegated authority. Amen? 
There's no authority that a person can have that wasn't given to them. Very, very important. You know, I was jogging the other day, or I might have been going up a hill and walking, but I remember just how a person uh, who was in construction was treating or talking and communicating to his workers. And I'm curious concerning those conversations. And they seem to be talking okay, but very often it's not like that. Sometimes we think we're superior to certain people because of our position, because of our wealth, because of our status in society. Just remember, how you treat people is how you're treating Jesus. And just remember, you also will have to give an account to the Lord. If you study this scripture, and sometimes I teach it when we do our business seminars, our kingdom business seminars, right? We, t we talk about this because the laborers' wages cry out to God. You know that scripture, right? Are crying out to God. God hears what are we like with our domestic helpers? Do we prioritize paying them? Or are we just like, ah, they need a job anyway. They, they'll understand. It's fine. How are we treating them? Amen? Because there can be exploitation, hey? There can be exploitation that happens, and we have to be accountable for that. Number seven, personal accountability is first a heart attitude. In Ephesians chapter 5, Verse, verse 21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we're now talking about accountability to each other. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know that people who submit to other people, where they understand mutual submission as a principle, they're very easy to work with. Have you noticed that? When the heart attitude is like this, and here are some phrases I have for you. This is someone who makes themselves accountable to other people easily. Their heart attitude is, you know what, guys? I must admit, I don't know all there is to know. That's a powerful statement. I don't know all there is to know. Another powerful statement. You know what, guys? I have blind spots. If we want to create a culture of accountability in this church, and people who actually attend meetings and small groups where they say, I'm accountable to you, and it's the four of us or five of us, that's the attitude we have to have. Guys, I do have blind spots. Another mindset is this. God has blessed me with good people that have my best interests at heart. Do you believe that? How many of you can say, I believe that? God has blessed me with good people that have my best interests at heart. How many of you agree with this statement? Feedback is a good thing. Feedback is a good thing. How many of you agree with this statement? Relationships don't have to be mushy-gushy all the time. To have a good relationship with someone, I need to be involved with you so that you can also challenge me. Amen? Another powerful statement. Sometimes the truth hurts and that's okay. People will speak into your life and sometimes it might be hurtful, but it's okay. Because that's how we grow. Iron sharpens iron. Amen? Another powerful statement. I don't know if you agree with this. The people that love me the most don't just tell me what I want to hear. The people that really love me the most, they won't just tell me just what I want to hear. I'm saying this because some people leave church when they're confronted by someone. We've had people where we've had to discipline them or step them down in a particular area. They get offended and they leave church. They stop coming. Because they don't understand this principle. Amen? Another powerful statement. Relationships are healthier 
when they're based on truth, transparency, and love. Relationships are healthier when they're based on truth, transparency, and love. Speaking the truth in love is a characteristic of a good friend. Speaking the truth in love is a characteristic of a good friend. In essence, you're actually admitting that I need people. How many of you honestly believe you need people? Can you raise your hand? Okay. Some of you are still thinking about it. If you have this mentality, you'll find it easier getting into accountability relationships. I still remember in my varsity days, we would have accountability triplets. We'd have accountability triplets. And we're going to start that in this church. Or quadruplets. And we're so powerful. I remember when the thing came up in terms of getting married to my wife. I had close friends, great pastors today. Temba Malaba, he's preached here before. He pastors the, the Every Nation Church in Sunning Hill. Gareth Lowe was the other one. He pastors the Every Nation Church in Berlin. Close friends. And I still remember when the thing came up and I was praying about it, like, you know, concerning Tracy. Temba is one of those very direct people. And he would say, he would say to me, so, so, Bru, what are you praying about? What are you waiting for? And you challenged me about it, saying, I'm fasting and I'm praying about it, you know, and so on. Okay, well, but why not? Why, why are you resisting? Are you following me? I had friends like that. I still remember there was a time we, it was during one holiday, and um, we were meeting with Temba and there were a few other people. And I was there with my wife. And in those days, my wife didn't talk as much as she now talks, right? And we were there and she was fairly quiet. And it was interesting because Temba literally rebuked me. He says, Nyams, your problem is you're dominating the conversation. We want to hear from Trace also. We always talk to you, but you're dominating the conversation. We also want to hear from Trace. And guess what? He was right. He was right. So those are the friends I've got. Amen? Are you in relationship with people who can talk to you directly? Concerning your personality? Concerning your style? Amen? Number eight, this is a very important principle. You are only as accountable as you make yourself. You're only as accountable as you make yourself. There is forced accountability, and then there's accountability that you choose. True submission is voluntary. If someone holds a gun to your head and forces you to do things, there's no blessing in that because you're being forced to do it. But it's wonderful if you can actually say to someone, you know what, guys, feel free to challenge me on some of these issues. And you've got your circle where they can challenge you. Some of you can't be challenged, even in a church setting. There's some people who come to church every Sunday, but they've positioned themselves as they are above rebuke. Amen? Who is allowed to speak into your life? Just think about it. Is there a list of names? Or are you offended with everyone who tries to speak into your life? If you mess up and refuse to listen, can we go to someone else? If so, who is that person? Who's allowed to speak into your marriage? It's important for every couple to identify a couple of other couples or a counselor or a pastor where we know if we hit a deadlock, these are the safe people to go to. Do you have that? We're talking accountability today, right? Number nine, accountability often involves confession. James 5 verse 16 
says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Are there certain people that you can talk to and basically say, you know what, this week I said this horrible thing to my wife and I'm not proud of it. We're going to be creating groups in this church where it's a safe environment to say those things. Isn't that powerful? I think it's powerful. Number 10, accountability is a foundation for teamwork. Accountability is a foundation for teamwork. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 to 12, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. My question to you is, are you a team player? Or are you the kind of person where you want to do things by yourself because you think everyone else around you is stupid? They're not as intelligent as you. They slow you down. So you never work in teams. Or maybe you want the praise and the glory for the results. So you never work in a particular team. One of the things I find amazing, and you see this in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, 14 to 19, we always admire Daniel and we say, he was this amazing guy. But you know that when he had to interpret the dream of the emperor, guess what he did? He basically said, can I have time? And what did he do? He literally called for a prayer meeting amongst his friends, didn't he? He literally went to them and basically said to them, hey, it says, then Daniel, verse 17, it says, then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends. Do you have friends that you consult? What I've noticed about certain people is they only hang around people who are not as good as them because they need that to boost their self-esteem. Their circle of friends is full of people who are not as fast, not as sharp. Just so they're the teacher, they're the guru. Do you have people around you who can challenge you spiritually? Do you have people around you who can challenge you morally? Do you have people who around you who can challenge you with your health and nutrition? Do you have people around you who know more than you do? Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Sometimes we have to discipline ourselves and hang out with those people, even financially. Do you spend time with people who've got a few more zeros than you when it comes to net worth? Because then it shows you that, oh, if he can do it, I can do it. Oh, that's normal. It's healthy. Amen? Daniel had these friends, and he didn't just work in isolation. There's no private interpretation of prophecy. He didn't just work in isolation. He says, guys, I have to interpret this. Can you please pray? And he called them to pray. It says, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. I've got people I can call on for prayer when I need prayer. Do you? Do you? I love it what, what happened to Paul, the apostle. He practiced this. Great apostle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13, it says, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind. Why? Because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Paul was a team player. Was he a strong character? Yes, he was. But because he didn't find Titus, he knew that my team is not here. Let me do something else. 
God has opened this door, but I can't do it with my team. Let me do something else. Isn't that powerful? Number 11, a culture of accountability will include confrontation. You see, some of you struggle to bring people to account. In Proverbs 27, verse 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Do you have people that you are challenging? And do you have people that can challenge you? One of the things I find amazing about Paul the Apostle in Galatians chapter 2, a very powerful statement, verse 11 to 13, it says, When Cephas, meaning Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul challenged Peter. It didn't matter what the status of Peter was. He challenged Peter. And these guys had a relationship, by the way. In Galatians 6, verse 1 to 2, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. So some of you are fine being challenged by people, but some of you find it challenging being direct and confronting people in the right context. And when you look at it, you'll notice that Paul had experience, and you see this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 18 to 20. He had had relationship with Peter. It says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. So he had already had 15 days getting to know Peter. And then later on at a certain point, he confronted Peter. Relationship confrontation. Relationship accountability. Amen? I believe God wants to do something so special in our church. And he wants to deepen our relationships with regards to this. Some of you are closed books. You come every Sunday, Sunday in, Sunday out. But we don't know about you. One of the most powerful greetings in the world. You know what I think it is? It's the Zulu one. Saubona. Because what am I saying to you? I see you. In true accountable relationships, we must see each other and be seen. That's why people get offended when you don't greet them. Because it's like you're saying, I don't see you. At schools, they have roll call. Where you must be seen, you must show up. That's accountability. I've been seen and I'm seeing. Is everyone following? We can only confront you when we see, when we know what's going on. Number 12, we are accountable for our doctrine. We're accountable for our doctrine. Galatians 1 verse 8, Paul says... But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. Let them be under God's curse. We're accountable for the doctrine that we preach. One of the things I love in Acts chapter 18, 24 to 28, you see Priscilla and Aquila challenging Apollos concerning his doctrine. Apollos was this great mighty preacher. But what was so powerful was he submitted himself to be accountable to Priscilla and Aquila concerning his doctrine. It says in, in verse 18, it says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man 
with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And from there, he then went to another town, another region, and he preached powerfully. But he was willing to have someone challenge his doctrine. Some of you are not willing to have someone challenge your doctrine. To have someone say to you, you know what, you shared this, but it wasn't balanced because of A, B, C, D. Amen? If I say something that is not scriptural, I'm very aware of this scripture that even if an angel preaches another gospel, let him be cursed by God. I would rather the most junior person here challenges me concerning something that I've said concerning the word than no one say anything, and then I'm like the emperor with no clothes. You know, remember that book, The Emperor with Mommy, the emperor has no clothes. Amen? Apollos was willing to be corrected by Priscilla. Priscilla was a female, by the way. And her husband, Aquila. Are you open to people speaking into your theology? Finally, we're accountable for the stewardship of our time, our talents, and our treasure. And we heard this in the offering message, didn't we? Matthew chapter 25, verse 20 to 29. The man who had received five bags of gold brought another five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. But we know that there was the guy who basically thought he was doing a good thing. And he says, you are wicked. You, you, you take where you did not sow. You reap where you did not sow. So I've buried the talent. And he says, you wicked servant. I'm accountable for how I use my time. The Lord will say, so what did you do with the time I gave you? It's like where we say to our kids, so what are you guys doing this afternoon? They have to have a plan. Amen? We're accountable for our treasures, how we use the money. Ultimately, I'm accountable for how the money is allocated in this particular church. I'm accountable for it. Amen? I want to encourage you, if you are a leader, to create a culture of accountability amongst the people who are following you. One of the ways you do that is that their results and their progress must be visible, must be seen. Saubona, we see you. Review their work. You know what I find amazing about Jesus? He sent out the 72, but when they came back, he gave them feedback. They were all excited. Hey, we're doing these miracles, and these demons are being cast out. He says, guys, let me just correct you. Don't be happy just because they're being cast out. Be happy because your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen? One of the things we're going to be doing as a church we're going to be using this spiritual health audit. I designed it years ago, but I've now revised it. And what's powerful about it is it's on the website right now. If you go to the website, okay, the Go Church website, you will see there's resources, a tab say, saying resources. And then you, you press that tab, and in that tab there's accountability tools. I want to encourage you to download it and use it. And you know that there are about eight different areas of accountability here. 
eight different areas. Accountability on historical issues. Accountability concerning your personal devotion. Right? Accountability concerning how you're outreaching to people, reaching out to people. You can have a whole discussion in a group just on one of those areas of accountability. Amen. So that's the tool that will activate accountability. Did you receive something this morning? Amen. We want this as a culture in our church. Let's pray. Let's pray. I want to pray for us as a congregation. If you're saying, Pastor, I agree with you, I want to be part of an accountability culture, personally accountable to the Lord, but also accountable to the people around me. I want to take my relationships to their next level. And I want to create a culture of accountability. Just raise your hands to heaven and I want to pray for us as a church right now. People do it in different ways. There's some people who are really good at it. When they can't even come to church, you hear them saying, Pastor, we're traveling, we can't make it. And we know where they are. And we pray for them and we strengthen them. Amen. Father, I thank you for this congregation. And I thank you for their response to you. And I pray for each person that is here right now, Lord, that whatever accountability we need in our lives, that we have it. I pray right now that we would have a revelation of our accountability to God. That we would have a revelation of our accountability to our brothers and sisters. That we are not one out. And I pray, Lord, that those of us who are leaders would create a culture of accountability where there's visibility of results, where we review and we track things with our people, where we've got shared values that are clear and understood. Come Holy Spirit and make us the people that you've called us to be. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray, Father, for a birthing of this in this church. And the people of God said, Amen. I want to challenge you, those of you who are married, if you're the kind of person where you just go off and your husband doesn't know where you're going, or you just spend money and they don't know where the money is going, repent of it. Tell them that, look, I'm sorry. As a married man, I need to be informing you more and more concerning my movements. As a married woman, I need to be informing you more and more concerning my movements. I'm accountable. Amen. If you're a leader in this church and you're not in the habit of saying, Pastor, I won't be around for the next two Sundays because of A, B, C, D. Can you pray for me? I'm traveling to Mozambique. I'm traveling to Zambia. Change your ways with regards to that. There's an accountability we have with each other. Amen. God is good. And all the time.